0: Well, good morning. Uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, Luke chapter one. And uh, if, you're, if you're visiting with us this morning, this is our, this is our second Sunday of, of Advent, which is pretty much like my favorite time of the year. This is my, my favorite thing. It's like a really, really special thing that we do. Uh, it's all for community church that we look forward to every year. And Advent it literally means this this arrival or this appearance. And so last week, uh, last week, this week, and the following two weeks will be will be leading up to Christmas. And I, I hope when we're when we're going through each each of our passages that we're going through for the next couple of weeks, I hope you exp- you experience this sense of of anticipation, uh, just like David was talking about last week. This sense of anticipation. Uh, that these people felt in, in the coming of Christ, and so our goal is to look into the scriptures so that you can you can place yourselves in the shoes of, of those who were who were yearning for and anticipating this coming of this Savior of the world, this Messiah that they had heard about for their entire lives, and so that's the that's the purpose of Advent. That's what that's what we're doing here, and as we look at Zechariah's prophecy today, uh, the, what's called the Benedictus. Uh, I hope that we would be able to walk through this passage, that we would experience the the anticipation and the hope that that Zachariah experienced when he was looking forward to the birth of his son, to the birth of of John the Baptist, and so. And then after that, out of pure joy, uh, the pure joy that pours out of him after his son, John the Baptist, is born as he waits in anticipation for the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to see today, uh, and as well as being able to look back at, at what they were seeing then and looking back toward the, uh, looking back at the, at the birth and the, uh, the life and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ— as as a, an addition to that, we also uh, Advent also allows us to be able to focus on another coming, right? The second coming of Jesus Christ, when He comes again in all of His glory, when He comes to to redeem His church. And as David read in Revelation 21 uh, last week, for those who who believe, who have life in Christ's name, like He has promised to make all things new. He has promised to bring all things to himself, to make all things new. The promise that, that God will dwell with his people forever, that he's going to wipe away every tear from his people's eyes when no mourning or crying or pain will exist any longer. And when we're able to do what we were made to do for all eternity, to worship him, to be able to cherish him as our treasure forever and ever. That's what our purpose is. That's what the Advent season is about. To look back at the, at the coming of Christ and all of the implications of that, but also to be able to look forward uh, to, to his second coming, to the second Advent. And so God has been pointing his people toward this promise this this coming of Jesus the savior since the beginning of the old testament right and uh i think david did a really good job last week of pointing us toward each of these passages and so i encourage you to go back and to look and uh and to listen to the sermon from last week to see some of the the promises that god has been making like david walked through all of those like the promises god has been making since the beginning of time to his people israel and also uh, for us that are not a part of, of, of the nation of Israel, also, uh, and so I encourage you to go back and look at that. Uh, but we're going to walk through it just kind of quickly today. If you, I mean, if you look back through the Old Testament, like you continuously this, you continuously see this this promise of redemption, right? This promise of, that God would redeem his people. You see, right after Adam and Eve have sinned against God in the garden, God promises the redemption of his people through this, this conflict where the mother's offspring, or Jesus, is going to bruise the heel, uh, is going to bruise his heel while crushing the serpent, Satan's head, right? And so this promise that God is going to redeem his people from the bonds of sin and from the bonds of Satan that, that started in the Garden of Eden. And then also, moving forward, we see the promise that God made to Abraham, uh, that promise he made in Genesis chapter 22, uh, which we're going to walk through in a few minutes, when Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, and God provides him the sacrifice of a ram and and spares his son from being killed. And And then God, after this, makes Abraham a promise because of his faithfulness that the nations of the earth are going to be blessed from his offspring, from his lineage. And then in Isaiah 9, God speaks through his prophet Isaiah uh, of one that will come from the lineage of David, the one that's going to come from from David's uh, line, who's going to hold the government on his shoulders, right? Uh, One who's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One whose righteous reign and whose peace is going to continue to increase forever. It's going to continue to move forever and one who's going to rule with perfect righteousness and justice forever. And then in the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, the promise of, of redemption comes. Like even though the Israelites are under this really oppressive rule of the Persian Empire at that time, like they are, they are being oppressed in every way. Malachi prophesies and says the Son of righteousness is going to rise. And he's going to rise with healing, and, and the sun is going to rise with healing in its wings. And Elijah the prophet, or someone that's, that's in the spirit and power of Elijah the prophet, like we're going to see today, uh, John the Baptist, will be sent to prepare the way for the coming son. So the people of Israel, they hear all of this throughout generation to generation to generation. And then after this prophecy, after this prophecy in Malachi, God is completely silent for four centuries. Four centuries, 400 years and so when we pick up today, we're going to see this, this entirely new scene, right, this, this new thing that's going on. Israel has now been, been taken over by the Romans, <clears throat> who were a dominant world power at this time, that's taken over much of the known world, uh, including Israel at that time. And they're going to see Herod the Great, who is this evil and oppressive ruler, uh, ruling over them at this time. So put yourselves in, try to put yourselves in the shoes uh, of these people. Like after, after hearing and knowing all of the promises that were passed down from generation to generation to generation about this Savior that's coming. Hearing about this, this Savior who's going to redeem his people and who's going to restore the nation of Israel to its, to its previous glory. The only thing that these people have experienced in their entire lifetime is being ruled by, by people who did not worship God and who were not concerned for the people of Israel and who treated them very harshly. So think about that. Think about the promises that they've received versus what they're actually seeing in their normal lives. This has, got to feel, this has got to feel terrible, but then something happens, right? And we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, "...in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord." But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in age. So Zachariah is, uh, so he goes in and, and he's performing his priestly duties just like he always does. And just as it's customary to do, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and, and to burn incense. Uh, it was one of the practices that they did. But on this particular day, he encounters an angel of the Lord next to the altar of incense when he walks in there. And I, I think sometimes we have the wrong perception of an angel. Like every time we see, uh, we, we think of them as fluffy and white clouds, you know, with a little halo over their head. But, but when we see them in Scripture, every time we see people being fearful of when they come. We see, we see fear come over the people. And, it, and it's just the same uh, with Zechariah. He was full of fear. Uh, but the angel says, in ver- starting in verse 13, he says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will, he- will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's amazing, right? To be able to hear that from, from the angel directly. But, John, but Zachariah is like, he's like, man, I just can't believe this. Like, look, I see what you're saying, but we're too old to have children. Like, we're, we're way too old to have children. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've seen us, but we're we're way too old to have children. And the angel responds and, and reveals himself immediately. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you the good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so then, just as the angel had said, Elizabeth goes and, and conceives a child. And until the time that he was born, Zechariah was, was unable to speak. Actually, until the eighth day when he, when he was being circumcised, which we'll see in a minute, Zechariah was unable to speak. And so some would say he was also deaf because the people had to make signs to him. The people had to, had to say, hey, wh- what do you want the kid's name to be called? And he has to write it out, but they, they have to make signs to him. So a lot of, a lot of people would say that, that he was also deaf at the same time as not being able to speak. And so just think about this. Think about the silence and the solitude that someone experiences when they know what it feels like to hear themselves, to hear others talk, to see what's going on in the temple on a daily basis, and to hear all the, all the noise that's going on there, to hear uh, you know, something, you know, something that would be going on in a normal household, and then all of a sudden one day that's completely cut off. Like you are, you are in complete and total silence. Think about what that what that feels like that's got to be like an eerie feeling, like Heather says, if I, you know if I had to do that for like one day, I would probably explode, and i don't understand where she gets that from. It's not like I really like to talk or anything. I mean, y'all know me better. Y- you know it's not like I really like to talk that much, but I, she says if I, if I would have to go through something like this for a day that I, I couldn't make it. so if a million dollars was offered to me to not talk for a day that it, it wouldn't work. she's probably right so uh <laughs> So during this time, the the angel Gabriel uh, visits Mary and he he tells her that she's going to bear a son and that she's going to call him Jesus and that Jesus will be the fulfillment of all of the prophecy that's spoken to Israel. And so the angel tells her about about Elizabeth being pregnant also, right? And so Mary goes to to visit Elizabeth and, and when she enters the baby and when she enters and the baby in Elizabeth's womb hears Mary's voice, John, John the Baptist, when he hears Mary's voice, the baby leaps in her womb. And so Elizabeth immediately was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Elizabeth is, is telling Mary about all this stuff that had gone on, Mary starts to sing this song of praise, which is what David went through last week, the Magnificat, uh, that David walked, you know, he walked us through that uh, last week. And so then came the time for for John the Baptist to be born. Then came the time for for all of this prophecy to start to take place, like for these things to actually start to happen in the way that the angel said that they would. And so in verse 57, we pick up there, uh, Luke chapter one, verse 57. It says, so now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by the name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth... Oh, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up, laid up in their hearts, laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So Zechariah, he's had nine months or more Of silence to honestly if we're thinking about it to probably be a little frustrated with himself like man I should have trusted that angel like why didn't I trust the angel but also he's probably had this time to think very clearly about all of the promises to recall the promises that the Lord was fulfilling through through his son and then also would be fulfilling through Jesus Christ and it all just kind of comes out all at once in this in this prophetic song of praise that he's going to sing and so uh, starting in verse 68 is where, is where he starts to bless the Lord. He, said, bless, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him with fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking to John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for redemption that has come on our behalf. Redemption that is greater than any political or physical redemption that could ever happen. Lord, you were working things out through Jesus Christ to accomplish a greater goal. To defeat sin, to defeat death, once and for all. Father, uh, we pray that this morning as we, as we walk through your word and as we, as we study your scriptures, that, that you would be made glorified in this Christmas season. Lord, that our our dependence upon you would would grow and that we would we would be able to see how much we we need the gospel and how much we need Jesus Christ every day. Father, I pray that our hope would be placed in you, and just as the people of Israel say, that we would pursue righteousness based on who you are, based on who what you've done on our behalf, that that in turn that we would that we would be holy as you are holy, Father. We pray that as, as we walk through through this passage this morning that, that you would point us to that. God, that we would see the deliverance that you've promised your people Israel and that we would see the, the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, through, the, through his blood, through his death and his burial and his resurrection. Father, we thank you so much for, for who you are, for Jesus Christ and for what he's done. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, so let's jump into this. Uh, it's uh, Zechariah's prophetic song of praise, and it's addressed to two different recipients, right? Uh, even though he is likely standing over his son or, or you know, near his son at the time, just, just as his son has been circumcised, his affections and his praise are not focused on his son. His affections and his praise, he is gonna, he's going to address his son, John the Baptist, but only for two verses. And that's after he's praised the one who is actively working all these things out, and that's God. So that's, that's who he's directed towards. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So it's important to know that, that is he's prophesying in this passage, right? And so this prophecy particularly looks like a song of praise to the Lord. Like that's, that's what he's doing here. So when he says, blessed be the Lord, he's saying, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. This is his way of just expressing this extreme gratitude for what God's doing in his life. And so he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, the Lord who cares for his people. The the God of of his people is is how that could be translated. He says, "Blessed, blessed be the Lord for he has visited and has redeemed his people. That's, that's where we're going to focus this morning. He has visited and he has redeemed his people. These are Zechariah's two focuses. And one of the first things that I notice when, uh, when studying Scripture is that these verbs, like these visit, has visited and redeemed, are in the past tense, right? And so when you're looking at, when you're looking at something like that, um, you want to you want to be able to pick up on those on those small things like that these verbs are in the past tense the only issue with that is that at that point Jesus had not been physically born yet Jesus had not come the, the redeemer had not been physically born yet and had not come yet this happens after that in Luke 2 this is called the prophetic perfect tense That they use. And what it means is that Zechariah is is so sure of the promise that God's shown him. He's so sure of what's going to happen that he says it like it's already happened. He says, He says, Look, I am I am so certain that God is going to fulfill his promises that what God said is as good as done. It's as good as done, and it's going to happen. So I'm saying it like it's in the past tense, like it's already happened, because guess what? It's coming, and it's going to happen. This guy who was a priest who did not even believe the angel Gabriel when he told him that he was going to have a son now has a solidified hope that the Messiah is going to come and that, it's, and that it's basically already happened. And so he says that, that he has visited his people, and this has like major significance, right? Can you imagine the, the emotions that would be stirred up? Just try to, try to picture yourself being around, around Zechariah that day when, they're, when, when you see John the Baptist come. Uh, can you imagine the emotions that would be stirred up from that? Like you've been immersed in, you've studied this, this Old Testament scripture that, that points to the Messiah coming, that points to him freeing Israel from its bondage. But you, your, your parents... Possibly your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, your great-great-great-grandparents have not heard from God. God God has been silent for 400 years, right? No prophet has spoken since Malachi, who said that a Redeemer was coming. But your entire life as you know it has been experienced in captivity. It's been experienced underneath the reign of others, of someone else not in the nation of Israel. And so much of Israel had basically abandoned all hope at this point that God was going to come and that God would ever redeem them. But now this prophecy that is, that is ages old is actually being set into motion right in front of their eyes. Like it's happening right in front of them at that point. God is coming to visit us. God is coming to be with his people. God is coming. The Greek word that's, that's used... Uh, to, that's used for visit is visiting in grace. Like God is, praise God that the ruler of all the universe would choose to visit man through his son, Jesus Christ, to, to bring us life. And so Zechariah praises the Lord because, because he's visited us, but he's not only visiting us, but he is coming to redeem us. He is coming to re- redeem the people there. Um, and redemption is something that's going to be carried out through the rest of the passage. But I, I want to be careful here to to try to look at the text for what it is. Like when we look at this text, we want to be careful to see what the author at that time, what Zechariah is actually saying, what he's trying to communicate. And based on what I read from the text, you may get something di- completely different. But based on what I read from the text, it seems pretty evident that Zechariah is is not necessarily referring to everything that we think about when we think of redemption. Right? When we think of when we talk about redemption, we talk about Jesus paying for our sins, Jesus making us righteous before God. Like we're talking about how how sin and death entered the world through Adam. Uh, through Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden and how Christ reversed that curse, how he, how he took that and, and reversed it from the fall of man by, be- by becoming an eternal substitute for our sin. Like, that's what we talk about when we talk about redemption. That is spiritual redemption. But I, I don't think when Zechariah is referring to redemption here, I don't, I don't think he's referring to that. I think it's likely that he's referring to the redemption of the nation of Israel. Like, he's referring to the redemption of the nation of Israel from their bondage and slavery. So, like, when you think about this, think about him referring to a, to a physical or a political Redemption, like somebody is going to come in and is going to take care of these people that are that are oppressing us right now, kind of like we see when when Moses delivers the people from their oppression in in Egypt. We see we see him say that God redeemed them, and so that's kind of that's kind of similar to what Zechariah is saying here. This is a, a physical or a political redemption that that Zechariah is talking about here, but. At the same time, this is a prophetic text. And so I love how God does this. Like while Zechariah, like many of the old, old Testament prophets and many of the people before him, couldn't really see what, what was going on before, couldn't really see the spiritual redemption that was going to come from Jesus, like that would be difficult for them to see. Even though they couldn't see it, he's still going to point to more than just a political or physical redemption in the next few verses. So like, even though he can't clearly see wrap his mind around it, some of the things that he's going to say in the next couple of verses are going to point to that, to that spiritual redemption, are going to look forward to that, to that spiritual redemption of Jesus Christ. And so how is God going to redeem his people? Uh, verse 68, again, it says, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old.'" that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. This is an interesting way to look at Jesus, right? The horn of salvation, especially during, during this Christmas time, like when we're reminded of Jesus, that he came as a meek and a, and a helpless child, a child that needed to be cared for and nourished just like any other child. Uh, that's kind of the picture that we see in, uh, in Christmas a lot, it, it, is a child that, that came and, and needed to be cared for by others and everything. But Zechariah is going to point us back to the scripture that describes him as a horn of salvation. And so what's a horn of salvation? It's, it's only referred to one time in the New Testament right here in, in Luke, and then it's referred to twice in the Old Testament. But it's basically, it's 2 Samuel 22 and then Psalm 18 again. It's, it's David speaking, and, and it's the same Psalm. It's the same verses. It's the same things that David's saying in two different places in Scripture. And so in 2 Samuel 22, he says the Lord, uh, actually it's, it's when, It's when Saul is trying to attack him and kill him, and and David says, the Lord is my fortress. He says, he is my strength. He's keeping keeping him from being able to attack me. So he says in in 2 Samuel chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 2, he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So when Zechariah is referring to this horn of salvation, he's not talking about anything that, that resembles a musical instrument or anything like that. that's kind of what I thought he was talking about at first. It's not a musical instrument. he's referring to the horns of a bull ox like like. Think of this imagery, like Zechariah is referring to Christ as this, this weapon of strength and power that God's going to send to defend the nation of Israel, to fight off its enemies so that they can enjoy political freedom for the first time in a long time, so where they can experience peace. That's what, that's what Zechariah is trying to see here. And then he says the ox was the, was the most powerful thing. The ox was the most powerful thing that they could think of to compare that to. Think about it. They didn't have tanks. They didn't have any type of industrial machinery or anything like that. The ox was was the most powerful thing that was in their, in their area, and those, the horns on that ox would, would really tear you up. And so it, it's, what, it's what they, you know, the ox was what they used to plow for cultivating agricultural fields, and it, and it served many other purposes just because of its brute strength. And these ox... Uh, these horns served as, a way, as an ox's way of defending himself, but then also I'm sure it's a pretty good weapon to get people to move out of the way if he wanted to, uh, if he wanted to advance forward. And so uh, this is the way that, that Jesus was viewed. He was viewed as this horn of salvation that's coming to redeem his people. And so like I said previously, even though Zechariah, he, he may be referring to this physical and political redemption of Israel, his prophecy allows us to be able to see glimpses of this greater spiritual redemption that's going to come. This greater spiritual redemption that's going to come uh, through Jesus Christ. And so we can see it here. Uh, Zechariah says that God raised up a horn of salvation to save them from their enemies. To save them from their enemies for two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, to show the mercy of that, that was promised to our fathers, right? He says, he says I raised up a horn of, he's raised up a horn of shal- salvation to show, to show the mercy that was promised to our fathers. This could be referring to what we saw in Malachi last week when we were walking through that, where God speaks to the prophet and he says, uh, starting in verse two, he says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Maybe this was the way that they saw God's mercy coming and allowing them to be able to triumph over those who who had been oppressing them for so long. But then also, in the same way that God raises up a horn of salvation to show the mercy that was promised to their fathers, he also raised up a horn of salvation to remember, so that God would remember his holy covenant which is the oath that he swore to Abraham, right? So what is this oath? What is this oath that we're talking about? Let's look back at Genesis chapter 22, uh, verses 16 through 18. I referred to this earlier, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and read it. Uh, that's after, after Abraham had o- obeyed God when God told him to bring his son Isaac up to the mountain uh, to sacrifice him as an offering to the Lord. So God had told Abraham to be faithful with this, and Abraham didn't really understand why he was doing this, but he, he went through with it. But when God saw Abraham's faithfulness, like he provides this ram at the last minute that's stuck by his horns, and uh, he uses it in place of Isaac as a sacrifice. And at the same time, God makes this oath with, uh, with Abraham. And God said, now listen, listen closely to this as we're reading through this. God said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. Did you catch that? Like, did you catch that when we were reading it? In Abraham's offspring, one that would come from him, one, that, one, that, one of his offspring, one that would come from him, Jesus Christ, in him, all of the nations, not just the nation of Israel, but all of the nations will be blessed. Zechariah saw political redemption, which will come at Christ's second coming, Right, We know that, that, uh, that everything will be made new then and that there will be no more oppression and there will, be, there will be peace and Christ's peace will continue out, but we know that that's coming in Christ's second coming and that hasn't happened yet. They saw the Messiah coming in power and in might, but little did they know, little did these people know that Jesus would not need to use the physical or the political force. He would not need to use, to, to use his physical or political po- Force on this earth to accomplish his purposes. He wouldn't need that. Jesus would be fighting on a much deeper level than they could ever imagine. Jesus would accomplish something that that the most powerful men on this earth, the most powerful people on this earth could never accomplish. He would defeat sin and death through his death on the cross. He would defeat that, and he would bring us back into right relationship with God We're going to see Zechariah refer to this spiritual redemption of Jesus again when he directs his attention to John the Baptist in a few minutes. But it's so great to see that God cares, that we see even way back in Genesis that God cares for the nations. God cares for us that are outside of the people of Israel. So cool to see that in this passage today. But Zechariah, he also understands that that salvation or redemption is not coming just so that Israel can sit back passively, right? Let's look at the next. Uh, let's look at the next verse, verse seventy-four. He says, "He says, look, we're not. We're not going to sit back passively, but instead, this freedom is going to give us th- this freedom from the oppression of our rulers, of the people that are that are trying to that are trying to push us down, that are trying to keep us oppressed. If we have freedom from them, Zechariah is saying that." that we can be freed from that in order to do something. So verse 74 says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah is a priest and and I'm sure he's longing for the day when this religious and this, this spiritual freedom of the people are not held in check by a governing authority that, that won't allow them to be able to do that anymore. That has no interest in worshiping God. Zechariah wants his people to be able to worship God, and so this should be this should be the same for us, right? Like when we're thinking about the Christmas season, like I've been thinking about this during my preparation time, and this is kind of a a simple but but profound implication that we can draw from. Like this is something that we can that we can think about when we're reading the text this week. Like when we think back and when we marvel about the the coming of Jesus Christ this Christmas, I pray that we can clearly see that the love that God has for us by sending his son to become man, like to ultimately suffer and die so that we might know him. I I pray that we can see that very clearly. Uh, That's the joy of Christmas, right? Like that's the joy of what we're doing. That's why we're here. But also I pray and I hope that in response to this, that we're reminded, especially in this Christmas season, especially at this time of the year, that we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death so that we can serve God and so that we can love others. Like, that's, that's the purpose. Just as these people have said, look, we want to be set free from this bondage, from these people that are oppressing us, so that we can be holy as God is holy, I pray that we would do the same thing. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 13, uh, Peter has has sent this letter to the, to the Christians who were exiled to different places at that time, right? And so uh, he reminds them first about the salvation that they have through Jesus Christ, about the salvation that's come to them uh, through Jesus Christ. And, and in response to this, he says, Look, because of that, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passage, the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, "You shall be holy," for I am holy. So we're called to pursue holiness, right? We're called to pursue holiness because of what Christ has done for us, and we and in this season, like in this particular Christmas season, it seems particularly harder to be able to do that, right? And I know that like. I don't know what that looks like for you in this Christmas season, but for me, it's, it, seems to be, it seems to be really difficult to continue to pursue holiness in the way that we do the rest of the year just because of the, the crazy busyness and the, the ridiculousness that Christmas, that, that all the other implications of Christmas sometimes brings. So what does that look like for you in this Christmas season? Like for me, uh, it looks like carving out time during probably the busiest time, of the year, to be able to, to be intentional with the way that we communicate Christmas to our families. Like, that's why, that's why we have this, uh, this Advent guide that we've given to you guys. Uh, that's, why, that's why we continuously want to pursue that, because we want you to be able to, to, to understand the gospel and to, to read the gospel for yourself, but then also to be able to communicate the gospel to your family in this, in this season and in this time of year. And so it's, it's really difficult to carve out time sometimes to be able to do that like this looks like just pursuing righteousness as as we do as we go into into this Christmas shopping season that we're not just checking off lists and buying gifts for people that but that we're being intentional with the way that we that we serve others with the way that we love others during this time of year I mean this this may look like taking an opportunity that you that you may only have during Christmas to show those in in your family that are hard to even be in the same room with that you love them that you care for them that you want to communicate the gospel to them as well as you can. I know for for me a lot of my family I only get to see them at Christmas time, you know. And it's sad, but you know, we're we're spread out, we're far off, and so when we when we can all come together for Christmas, this is a good opportunity to be able to communicate the gospel, to communicate what's going on. Maybe you're that family member. Maybe you're the guy that nobody wants to be around. Nobody wants to be in the same room as <laughs> Maybe, maybe you need to pursue some type of reconciliation with your family. Maybe there's, maybe there's this issue that's been, that's been going on with your family, and maybe, maybe that needs to be made right this Christmas. I pray that you would be able to pursue holiness and pursue righteousness in the way that you, in the way that you communicate that to your family, and the way that you, that you come back into relationship with those people that you've been at ends with for maybe a year or longer. And this also, for me, I know specifically for me this time of year, it means being diligent in your study of God's Word. Like, continuously looking at opportunities to be able to study the Word, even when things get crazy difficult, to be able to do that. Staying up late at night, getting up early in the morning so that we can know Him. It takes sacrifice. It takes, it, it, it takes being very diligent about that to be able to do it, and especially during this time of year. That's, that's something that we see all the time. Maybe it opens up this need or this, this opportunity to care for, for those who are marginalized or to care for the poor. Um, you know, Chris, the Christmas season usually, usually gives us more opportunities to be able to do that, and maybe, maybe something particular has been revealed to you uh, that you want to pursue, to care for those who, who Jesus cares for, to, who Jesus loves, and who Jesus continues to pursue. So I don't know what that looks like specifically for you, but I hope that we would let our remembrance of the life and the servanthood of Jesus that we would let that propel us to live our lives in a way that pursues holiness this Christmas season, because God is holy, and He has called us to be holy in the same way that He is. And so, uh, getting back to the text, Zechariah, he's he's addressed his praise toward God for the for the promised Christ for the for the Christ that's going to be sent. And now he turns his attention toward his son, John, while he continues to praise God for what he's going to do through, through his son, John. And so he says in verse 76, he says, And you, child, speaking to John the Baptist, will be called prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah rejoices that John the Baptist has been given this role, this special role in human history, to be the prophet that's going to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, to be the one that's going to mark out the path that Jesus Christ is going to go on. And according to Luke chapter 3, we'll see John the Baptist, when the time is right, being called by the holy spirit out of the wilderness to proclaim a baptist a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so that's what John that's what John the Baptist's purpose is going to be. He's going to walk before Jesus Christ and he's going to prepare the way for him. And so Zechariah shifts his focus here completely. You know, we were talking about physical and political redemption, but Zacharias shifts his focus completely to spiritual redemption here. Whether he, whether he knows it or not, I'm not sure, but he says, he says that Jesus is going to bring spiritual redemption when he, when he prophesies. Not only is God's redemption plan to restore the nation of Israel, but he looks upon all of us. Like he looks upon all of us, those of us in each nation or group of people around the world with this tender mercy. He sent the one who is able to conquer our greatest fear, the greatest fear that, that anyone has in the history of man. And that's death apart from a right relationship with God. That is our greatest fear. And he has sent the one to be able to accomplish that. To be able to take over that death and to be able to, to bring us toward life. And then we get a picture of, uh, of some similar imagery, probably taken from Malachi. Again, it, it sounds similar to what was said in Malachi when Zechariah prophesies about the sunrise visiting them, about the sun, this, this light, this light that's going to illuminate those that are sitting in this darkness, this light that's going to that's gonna take over this darkness so that their paths can be directed toward a life that experiences peace. Like That's what we're going to see here. And so a great way for for Christians, for us to be able to reflect on this this spiritual goodness that God is bringing through Jesus Christ, this this redemption that's happening through Jesus Christ, a great way to be able to reflect on that is to be able to reflect on how much we truly need him, on our desperate need for this Savior, this Savior Jesus Christ that was sent. Zechariah was in desperate need for God to come through in his situation. Like, he had placed his hope fully on the fact that God would deliver on his promises because he knew that he had no ability to change his situation that he was in. He had no ability to, to take over the oppressive rule that was going on at their time and to, to redeem his people. Zechariah had absolutely no ability to do that. And that's a great picture in the same way of our dependence on Christ for everything, for everything that goes on. And so I hope you're going to feel the weight of that this Christmas. I hope you feel the weight of what's going on. Like we were the ones sitting in total darkness. The ones that Zechariah talks about that were sitting in total darkness. Paul would describe us before we, were, before we became believers as dead in our trespasses and sins. That's darkness. That's the shadow of death that Zechariah talks about here. And so he's, Christ has come and he saved us from that. He's allowed us to be able to recognize the weight of our sin, like the the depth of our sin and the the horrible things that we do on a daily basis, the things that we think about, the things that we say that are are not pleasing to God, that that are rebellious against God and that run from God. He's allowed us to recognize this weight of our sin, to repent of our sins, and then to place our faith and our hope fully in him. He's allowed us to do that, and not only is he the originator of our faith, not only is he the one that, that allows us to have this faith in the first place, but he is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who, who brings all things together on a daily basis. We don't have any part in that. We don't have any part in holding our world together. When you're you're walking around outside, when when you're doing things in your daily life, Christ is sustaining that. Christ is holding everything together. He is the one who sustains our faith. He's the one that keeps us in him. When we sin against God, like when we try to run away, when we try to hide in our darkness, he pursues us, right? He pursues us and he brings us back into right relationship with him. We don't do that. He does that. He is the one who's going to make all things new. He is the one that's going to glorify our bodies so that we can enjoy being in the presence of God forever. He is the one that's going to do that, which is the greatest treasure of all, being in the presence of God forever. All of this is because of Him. He's the only hope that we have. He's the only hope that we have. And I pray that we would recognize the the depth of our depravity, like the evil in our hearts. And that this realization of, our, of the bitterness of sin and, and just the, the evil that we pursue on a daily basis, that that revelation of evil would allow us to be able to experience the sweetness of the freedom that we have in Christ. That's the redemption that's being referred to here. The redemption, when Christ comes and redeems us from our sin and takes us from that, from that terrible place that we are, he's the only one that can do that. So I pray this Christmas season that we would be able to that we would be able to see this, that we would be able to experience how much we need Christ and that we would walk in that dependence every day. We will walk in dependence even when, even when things get crazy during this Christmas season. And so, uh, kind of on a side note, I know that this may come as a shock to, uh, to many of you, but, uh, I am a major nerd when it comes to certain things. And so, uh, during the, during the Christmas season, one of my favorite things to do is to listen to old, you know, to listen to Christmas hymns. So, like, seriously, I've been listening to Christmas music since October because I just love it. And I know, look, Jordan's shaking his head at me. People are, people are condemning me up here. I don't. So, but anyway, I love, I just love listening to Christmas music. But I don't just want to listen. I want to, like, deeply analyze each song. To the point where Heather's like, look, if we have to listen to this song one more time, I'm jumping out of this car. Like, I, I don't want to be in this car anymore. I don't want to listen to this song anymore. I'm like, wait, but I didn't, I didn't hear that last part. I, I need to listen to it again. So, like, I'm the guy that wants to hear, like, the fourth or fifth verse that only that obscure hipster band likes to sing and, and nobody else. Like, I, I want to hear that, that fifth verse of uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or whatever song it is, you know, that nobody ever sings. So for some reason, through all of this experience, through all this, uh, you know, from loving this so much and doing this so much, I have never been able to actually listen to the words of the song Come Thou Long Expected Jesus until this year. So, like, that's my song this year. That's the one that I've been kind of, like, focused on this year, and it's only, like, two verses, so whatever. I guess I can, I can deal with that. But, uh, but I haven't really been familiar with this song in the past. And so, uh, even if you heard it like a thousand times, I would pray that you would be able to to worship with me this morning as as we reflect on some of the words. Uh, together and we're gonna walk through those in just a minute. Uh, I feel like this so closely relates to what Zachariah was experiencing and it also relates to our longing for Christ, like like our our need for Christ in this in this certain season. So I'm I'm really excited that we're singing that today because we're gonna be singing it in a in a couple of minutes. And so I just want to kind of walk through the through the lyrics with you so that when you're when you're singing this that we can worship God together and, and it relates so perfectly with this with this passage. Um Verse 1 says, says Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, that horn of salvation. Jesus is the horn of salvation. Israel's strength and, and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art. Dear desire of every nation, that promise that we see, that promise that we see in Genesis chapter 22, that he is the desire of every nation, that he's going to redeem every nation. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And then verse 2, this, this verse kind of, it. it, it it helps us to walk through it together and it helps us to be able to see our dependence on Jesus Christ. So I pray that we would, that we would be able to say that as, as we're going through this today. It says, Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. I just, I'm so thankful for this. And then it says, By thine own eternal spirit, Rule in all our hearts alone. By your Spirit, rule in us. By your Holy Spirit who has come for us, rule in us. And then by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. By your merit, by what you have done, by what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf, would you raise us to your throne where we can live forever with God, where we can worship forever with him. And so believers in this Christmas season, I pray that we could feel the weight of our sin, that we, could like, that we could lean on the grace that Christ continuously provides us and that we would pursue holiness as we conform more and more and more to his likeness. And then if you're here and, and you've not trusted in Christ today, like if you would not con- consider yourself a, a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray that he would do as only he can do. We, I'm not standing up here saying that I can convince you one way or another. I, I'm saying that Christ That through the power of Christ is the only way that that you can actually understand what's going on here, that you can receive Him. And so I pray that He would open your heart to the gospel in a way that you've never seen it before. I pray that you would see and that you would experience the love of Christ, that that you would experience that love, that this would allow you to be able to turn from your sin, to be able to trust in the Savior, the Savior, the, the redemption of Israel, the redemption of all of His people. <clears throat> and my hope is that your eyes will be opened, that your eyes will be opened to the greatest treasure of all in this Christmas season, Jesus Christ. He has promised that he provides a light for those in darkness. He provides peace for those that are in strife, peace for those that are in turmoil, and I pray that, that you would be able to experience this light and this peace that, that God talks about, that you would be able to experience this, this love of Christ that's beyond anything that we can even imagine. I pray that you would be able to experience that today by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so if you could, uh, would you pray with me? Father, I... Uh, <clears throat> Father, you're worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise. God, we thank you that, uh, that you did not continue to. God, that, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, that, that we did not continue in darkness, Father. that, Lord, when when everything in our life was dim, God, when our our hope was completely lost, when there was no other way to be redeemed, when there was no other way to be brought back to life, Father, you made us alive Lord help us feel the weight of that <laughs> help us to see our sin to see, to see it right in front of us this Christmas season to see the ugliness of it the, just how, how nasty it is Father help us to see how much it binds us and weighs us down And Lord, through that, I pray that you would allow us to to feel and to experience what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. He has taken away that burden of sin. He has made a public spectacle of sin on the cross so that we don't have to live in it any longer. Father, thank you for redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that in this Christmas season, as things get crazy, as things as people are constantly running and doing and buying and experiencing, God, you would slow us down. You would allow us to, to experience that peace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ that we would get a glimpse of that on this earth Father and that Lord through through everything that we do through this Christmas season that we would pursue holiness that we would serve others that we would care for the poor and for the marginalized that our vision would go beyond providing for ourselves and more toward loving your people, Father. God, thank you that you're continuing to point us toward this redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that we're able to worship you today. you have visited us. You've promised that your Holy Spirit lives within us. So you've visited us and you care for us deeply. Father, help us to rejoice in that this Christmas season. Lord, as we sing praises to you, help us to to worship you because of who you are, and because of what you've done for us. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being able to sing songs to you this morning, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.